0: Anglicans have become further divided after they continue to split over the homosexual issue in the church, with the majority going against traditionalism. What an unpredictable and unprecedented surprise, who would have thought? Also, the cult of ISIS from Egyptian times is in America and has been in America, combined with a level of religious confusion and New Ageism aspects. What are the symbolic attributes people haven't been noticing? And finally, I will refute a professor from California... Who has also given talks in Utah? Who somehow says that Paul was fine with homosexuality, just not how the Corinthians Corinthians practiced it? Where's his proof for this? Well, it turns out that every proof undoes his claims, but we will allow him to make his case. That's today on the Cult Exclusive Podcast. Okay. So hopefully I will be getting introduction music for my show. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. I'm probably going to be doing a lot of copyright-free music very, very shortly on some sort of recording software. And I will be getting on that very, very soon so that you guys can listen to something besides my voice uh, sounding like someone who didn't prepare for a uh, doctorate degree in a college or, you know, whatever comes first, just someone mindlessly talking without any music in the background. Of course, it is only 10 seconds to an extent, but that will soon occur very, very shortly. All right, big thanks as usual, and always to everyone that uh, contributed to the show through their dedication and uh, ability to produce theologian-level writing and all the media that goes into research and archaeological composition. Big thanks to all the copyright-free and rights gained through the show. First and foremost, do you have a podcast idea, but you feel like you don't have any resources to start it? Look no further than Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm has everything you need, a platform that uploads to nearly every source for podcasters, and it's completely free to use, of course, which is a really big perk to have. All you need is your recording equipment that you can grab from any store, your laptop, and your microphone, and you can set up a podcast for free in a number of hours. And with a continued audience, you can end up monetizing your show and get paid for doing what you love. That's Anchor.FM. Start today and combine your show on Spotify for podcasters to grow your audience. So firstly, we're... Uh, going to jump right in here to the first article, a very scholarly article written by McLaden Tormrod, if I'm not pronouncing mispronouncing that name, but of course I probably am. Big thank you to you and your research. So firstly, the first artifacts that stemmed from the Code of Isis are said to be dated to around the 1st century BC and 2nd century BC, and as a And as multiple other people have said before, this, of course, is the big proof in reality of God. Even for those people that are stuck in their own minds after themselves, no matter where they are or what they have been doing in life, even if they do tend to struggle with atheism, there's always been this version of God that they want to serve. Of course, depending on the God that it is that they're serving, uh, a lot of practices can be combined with that that are very self-centered, worldly, or just straight up ridiculous and practices that no one should really do. But there's always this idea of being wired to servitude to a certain type of thing, whether it is a practice, an idol, or some other form of cultism. And most of the time, people who don't want to talk about faith are only doing it due to anger or life hardship before going right back to this notion of having a higher authority or curiosity and a longing for purpose. It's interesting to note, based off this in depth writing by Tormrad, is that not only was the main cult popularized by Isis herself as a deity, but four other variants of the cult also formed around later in the early periods of the second century AD and the time of Rome and the Romans, and those were known as Isis Augustina, Isis Fortuna and another one by the name of Isis Panthria. Now Isis Augustina obviously refers to the Augustin, the Augustine rule within Rome. Although Augustine would later on establish Christianity as the main belief system in the in the whole of the empire, Isis was still adapted throughout the empire in a smaller, lesser way on the side. One aspect is clear about our lives today, that when it comes to the true worship of a true God, we must never allow our God to be overrun by any other form of doctrine when it's based on a governmental body and leadership that goes against God. Of course, under the authority of Rome, this happened. It did happen in stages, as we'll get to soon, but overall the government allowed the practices of treating the relatives of emperors as goddesses within the government, similar to the scenario of the Israelites fashioning a golden calf, representing a main known deity that was a representation of a godhead in the regions of the Middle East, which in this sense was Baal as a calf and other variants of that form of imagery, only they didn't exactly have this human state as God's notion, other than being led towards a rival priesthood ideology as the Old Testament states multiple times. Of course quite a lot of people do this and don't realize it. It's the same practice and it's still an a very a very relatable practice from the olden times. Of course calling a woman you admire or a woman you're engaged to or married to quote unquote a goddess might unt- might at times be something that you know a local weirdo at Walmart might say. Or it might just be a kind-hearted expression of attraction, but the real impression religiously is actually a hidden reference to ISIS and other forms of cultism in Egypt, Greece, and Rome, and later on today new ageism and ISIS worship combined together. I've actually seen a decent amount of people do this on my Instagram feed and Facebook feed, and commonly people are starting to connect cult worship of ISIS together with the terminology, but they're also beginning to connect the palm reading hand symbol to the same phrase. Of course, this is extremely dangerous terminology to get comfortable with, even though most would observe the symbol to merely be a cool symbol from history, quote-unquote, but due to the all-seeing eye attached in the palm reader hand in unison, it should direct them to the enemies of God super easily and actually right away. If they are in our if they aren't already blinded by atheism. And in a sophisticated fashion, they don't see it coming. Sadly, even simply having the palm reader image can of course be enough on its own to be a gateway to occultism, which should not be tolerated in the people of God, and won't be tolerated in the people of God who are truly serving him as the ultimate creator of the world. Now let's get to a little bit of background on Isis historically. Isis was one of the four children of the earth god of the Egyptians, referred to as Gib, which kind of sounds like the name of a country bumpkin who would most assuredly have a mullet, or in an extreme case, a double mullet. Hopefully they won't actually come up with that. And Newt, spelled like Nut, the sky goddess, and no, I'm not making that name up, even though it sounds like it would be a running joke back in their time, which... Might be why they decided to pronounce it like the name of a lizard. Now, I think I might have just come up with one of the best conspiracy theories of all time. Reddit should probably get on that. Anyways, Newt and Gib produced four children Osiris, Isis, Set, and Ephites. And Osiris actually did end up to the fact that he was older since they had an elder hierarchy in Egypt, marrying his sister and ruling over Egypt, which is where the whole dictated idea of sibling sexual relations that actually comes from in Egyptian cults, which were unfortunately popular at the time in Egyptian cultism, and in the royal family for that matter. And later on in Rome, this would also happen between family members and more distant family members, which is a matter of fact the primary reason for the writings of Paul the Apostle. Or one of the main reasons to object to their horrific relationships, which of course, hopefully anybody and everybody in a sane community would would object to, even in the imperfect world we live in today. Eventually, the government did start to look down on that practice, however, and uh, and they would actually openly dishonor and stripped governor position positions if they actually caught. Uh, them and the act in ancient Greece, but of course this did not happen until later. And unfortunately this evil continues in our government today, which nobody in their right mind should ever stand for when it comes to sexual relations in a criminal way. And we should pray for the reconstruction of our society to uproot those practices in our society instead of accepting them as a sexual identity. And of course that should 100% be obvious to anyone. Now on a very serious note, since these practices are from the occult side of Egypt, this is one of the big indicators as to how our normal knowledge of sexuality and sexual practices have been so terribly twisted and misfashioned. According to unrv.com, which is a great source for free historian-level scholarly articles by the way, you should totally check out that website for all the history needs, both college-based and curiosity-based, the cults of Egypt related to Isis and related to a couple other cults that would be sculpted sculpted off the other gods of Egypt as they mixed with Greek culture were normally paraded around by the action of wearing a mask that was shaped as one of the deities. Mainly Anubis for the rituals of Anubis or Isis as a bird, used in correlation to reenact the Isis resurrecting Osir- the Yeah, the Isis resurrecting Osiris from the dead and have relations one-last-time ideology, which would cause the birth of Horus to take place in their mythology. Now, how did this happen exactly? How did the cult of ISIS last so long and actually spread from Egypt to Rome throughout all these years? Well, it's merely because the Greeks were in fact looking for a way around the issue of death and immortality. And Egyptian culture already had that with ISIS, which led them to successfully re-establish the cult, in Greece following their defeat to the Greeks, despite the negative response from a large amount of the government body in Greek politics that wanted to simply continue with their normalized Greek Hellenism. Of course the other main reason was the high amount of sexuality within the cult in the first place. As it was the beginning as it was at the beginning, obviously, in history, sex is at least in my opinion the number one or two most tempting aspect in life that causes us to decide on the wrong choices. Back then, everyone had the cults of Isis and Anubis and others like them combining animal symbolism together with higher amounts of sexual activity, but now we're simply adding an aspect of oriental, Oriental culture from Japan, China, Korea, and other Asian nations from anime and putting it together with sexuality. In a further combination of Anubis-like cultism. A lot of the time, people are actively mixing occultism with sexuality, which people never should ever do in the first place, or the other ideology is produced where people simply decide to exclude religious aspects, but add disturbing and cultic animal attributes into the mix, and then just simply act like they're not doing that. Ignoring the subject of Isis and Anubis entirely, Even though it's still technically present. Now, under the authority of God who created us, of course, there's a room to say that sexuality between husband and wife and their own privacy should be enjoyable for both people and enjoyable whether you are trying to have a child right away or not. However, animal symbolism of any kind should never be present, as it's both disturbing mental insanity and ancient cultist worship most of which people don't even understand. Plus, we also have to ask ourselves, what is the original uh, involvement behind certain practices, especially sexual ones? Because in mythologies of the Egyptians, Seth who kills his brother actually ends up demoted to finding demons after the other gods realize he was the one who killed his brother in the ancient Egyptian account, which I don't really get how that's a demotion exactly, Besides the fact that under, the underworld itself is, you know, the whole cause of evil. And literally all those other cultures had that as well. But, and and by the fact when he kills him and he outs himself as being, you know, the bad guy so to speak. But it's very obvious to realize that demons, in fact, pretty much made this story. They pretty much came up with the whole entire thing. Like, wh- where else... where else and why else would demons be in literally every single aspect of every other culture? And a lot of people won't really enjoy that ideology, especially if they aren't Christian, but you have to try and just figure out and determine exactly how demons get into everything. Why are they in every single culture that we've ever known? And even in the unreached people groups of the Amazon, for instance, There's still this ideology of a demon figure that's actually present somehow, despite the fact that no one exactly just simply came up with that notion to begin with. Now, on one last note, the instance of sexuality as it perceives to women is very important to realize. One of the main reasons that there were so many women, and as a matter of fact, women and men in these cults, was the sexuality aspect and the fact that having aimless sex or sex that was deemed as a worship or servitude to a deity was a lot more simplistic and straightforward and realistic in their culture than getting married. Today, we most certainly do that. We tend to either separate from any religious organization whatsoever, or we just simply worship sex as the religious organization in the place of God. Brothels are not a new idea. Strip clubs are not a new idea. And clubbing is not a new idea. It's just that sex is the main idea versus sex combined with religiosity that's being pushed out of the mainstream media mind in society. So, for those that deem themselves feminists also, no matter if it's the I hate all men no matter what kind, or the standing up for womankind, they should see the unrealistic and toxic attributes associated with mindless, aimless sexual practices. Now let's get to the news section. So this article is actually very old, all the way back in 1998, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure since that time it unfortunately has grown in size with its new-aged Hellenistic cultism. This comes out of the Tampa Bay Times. It says ISIS worship is making a comeback. We are taking what was once a great, mighty religion that thousands of years ago survived and it is being translated for today. The Lyceum where believers celebrate holidays of the winter and summer solstices and the spring and fall solstices is in rural Massachusetts. Other spiritual centers, each with its own priestess, operate on the Florida's west coast and in a New Orleans, suburban Atlanta, Britain, and elsewhere. It goes on to say, Each is affiliated with the Fellowship of Isis, a loosely knit organization that claims 10,000 members and has a quarterly newsletter and an outspoken fondress. Outspoken fondress? What does that even mean? Named Lady Olivia Robertson. 76. She presides over the fellowship of her family castle in southeastern Ireland. Membership is free. Southeastern Ireland. It's literally the most random place of all time. Rebrandish rebrandishes a cult and goes to a Catholic community. Interesting why that is. Um it's like they're trying to tell it's like they're trying to tell the Mormons we have a more outrageous place for our headquarters than you. It's giving me those kind of vibes. So since this is in fact an old article, I'm guessing the leader has probably passed the torch if I'm not mistaken, but of course we're seeing the same thing as we discussed before. The female is the goddess deity centered figure, and it's clearly the same idea going back to the times of the Egyptians. The differing major appearance of Isis as a deity with the female figurine is still there, and it's not different at all. don't really know why I said different, but anyways. Only yes, on the last part, I do have to admit the whole membership is free thing is probably the only attractive aspect of this whole group in general that would get anyone signed up. Like, I'm a big supporter on the free membership aspect of most activities people can do when they aren't self-destructive cults at the very least. We need more of that in music, editing, and online communities via my non-ability to get background music for some reason but one thing i'm wondering is how this group would look if it was a dating app since they have the whole membership thing attached like because this is really the only thing that dating apps won't do they allow any form they, they don't allow any form of free membership whatsoever of course the real challenge would be naming a cult dating app anyway Later on in the article, this outspoken fondress title, whatever in the actual hell that means, kind of sound but whatever the hell that actually means, which kind of just sounds like a D character, if a D player made up a did not make a a character beforehand, goes on to make a statement that is actually a big challenge when it comes to the, attracting people to the true Christian churches at the expense of the churches. She mentions, she mentions that she feels, quote, that Egyptian religion is definitely the oldest of all religions, unquote, which of course is not at all a true statement in the slightest way. But she also does say a more true to Christian statement that should be an eye-opener for people in the church. She says, more recent faiths such as Christianity are not doing well. She contended that they are getting weak and they're building great buildings with no one in them. Now, although the first claim is false, just by adhering to the notion that Genesis, at the very least, is written similar to the oldest of the, old, of the oldest manuscripts, concerning creation stories and things of that sort, and it's kind of around the same time as the epics of Gilgamesh of the, of the actual manuscripts that we found and older, we need to be at war with the quote-unquote churches that are simply megachurches instead of churches that are actual true churches with Christ at the center. Churches that mildly discuss small aspects of the Bible, or just exclude the whole entire Bible, and discuss financial pleasure and promotion, similar to a money seminar. And as for the notion of nobody being in the church, that's obviously not exactly true, There are currently 2.4 billion Christ followers, and probably at least, you know, probably I think it's 1 billion, maybe a little bit less at this time, all throughout the world back back then when this was written. But the only question is how many people are actually living the Christ-centered lifestyle, and how many Christians aren't. Now it's interesting here because this is a cult, and it's not even a sect off of anything. It's simply a cult devised to copy New Age beliefs of the 60s and 70s while also mixing the leaders of the community with New Age cultism with the standard church leader entitlement. Now what I mean by that is she calls herself a Fondress, like a goddess I guess of some sort, similar to Isis and the figurine of Isis, and other and other individuals mentioned in the article call themselves reverence, despite the fact that, you know, well, their religion clearly doesn't follow anything related to the Catholic Church faith, which is what reverend really comes from. But it just ends up steaming or stemming towards Egyptian religious thought. Now legitimately, this is how you truly know it's not Christian. Because later on it describes that a bunch of people that are the followers, they gathered together in a room and walked forward right next to two Isis statues, next to candles, and it mentions that the deities were allowed to speak through them. Regardless as to if this was always a cultural practice of Egypt or not, which I'm assuming it might have possibly been, but only for actual priests, I don't even think priestesses, it should be clear that this is literally asking another form of spirit to speak through them. And of course, that's not at all a biblical attribute. It's not at all a biblical, a biblical attribute that should ever be used. But it is in fact interesting how the two idol figurines are almost like the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant described in the Bible. I wonder why that is. And I wonder why no one is really explaining that. Whether someone is allowing something to speak other than the Holy Spirit of Christianity, whenever someone does that, it will never be anything out of goodness or goodwill. At the same time as doing this, The group would also describe their meetings as super secretive, which causes people to have even more confusion and a longing and looming rate of curiosity. This is how you know as well that it's not from God and has not been at the start, and it will always be the enemy of the faith and of the church. Plus, these faiths are also seemingly repeating the idea of coexist as they are an extension from the assembly of world religions which also was there at the time. So this is definitely a red flag. So the Anglican Church has distanced itself from the main Anglican Church of England over none other than the classical debate of homosexuality. Now from a biblical standpoint, this really shouldn't be much of a debate since the true Bible openly declares homosexuality wrong and an unbiblical practice. So essentially the full essence of what is occurring is that the main church of uh, England, the Anglican England church, of which the main person in charge is the Archbishop of Canterbury, that for some reason the last name kind of sounds like an English dessert this whole time, I don't know how no one has brought that up before, has sided against the liberal side of the homosexual debate, and this of course has caused an insane split or at the very least, a very quick and abrupt future split of the Christian church over the issue of the homosexual problem. And everyone around when they were voting on this, they actually voted over halfway uh, for homosexuality versus the lesser amount that didn't. They basically had the view that. Everything that is traditional should basically be crinkled up and thrown into the nearest garbage disposal, thereby throwing away traditional Anglicanism and therefore and therefore renaming themselves will come up with the denomination later probably, or something or something that has to do with Episcopalian of the United Anti Anglican, Anti United Methodist Church, or simply just an Anglican church with no actual Anglicans present, whatever you want to call it. As predictable as it could be, the Church of England stated that the Archbishop of Canterbury will no longer be recognized as his ranking in the Anglican Church. Now, of course, this is the issue with churches today when it comes to a church or a giant denomination that resides over an entire community from both a political perspective and a historical perspective, when they take a wrong side on the issue. Legitimately, The first order of offense, of course, is right away to strip a person of their acknowledgments as a leader, and as people on the conservative side always tend to note, we never really do that. We simply say, this isn't biblical, check the facts, check the sources, and honestly this is one of the main ways where Catholics and Anglicans are very similar at times, since they always go to great lengths, and really the greatest lengths possible, to strip someone of their roles as soon as they disagree. Now, of course, I'm not saying that having an unbiblical opinion about a debate wouldn't be a cause for dismissal or a cause to not allow someone to work for a church or a high ranking in authority. But the big problem is that conservatism doesn't get a say anymore. We don't even have any debates about it from both sides. People are just stripped of their roles right away. And when people don't really have a real debate before they are just thrown and cast aside and simply run out of their denomination entirely. Really, it would be essential to meet at a minimum amount of three times on each subject as the whole of the Anglican community, since they only meet once every three to four years, which is currently what happens, since a vote on the particular subject goes one way or the other and then it normally causes the conservative side a bunch of havoc, Another attribute to keep in mind as well, despite the fact that Anglicanism and Catholicism have somewhat different specific traditions on theology, it is important to note that a large majority of, well maybe not all that has resurfaced, but a lot of the majority of the Catholic Vatican uh, problems there has been caused by what the Vatican contains. And of course, I 100% believe that what has been contained in the vatican all the evil stuff that they have has and will eventually seep into the anglican community but it's just that it, it already has it's just that it's f- firsthand in the form of homosexuality you know versus a weird idol or a strange book of course, this is on the more stranger side of theology, but evil is encompassed in the visible and invisible. I'm not going to go into the objects that the Vatican contains, and little is really known about the majority of them. But the point is that a decent amount of what the Vatican contains behind closed doors is evil, and should never be seen by the public. Which is actually why you can't witness 80 percent or more of what is 80 percent or more of what is stored there. I would honestly claim that this is the cause of 100% or near 100% of the abuse that is actually taking place in the Catholic Church, both the sexual abuse and other abuses. There's evil that comes from objectification, there's evil that simply hides in core values from the wrong values. Right now we have to make sure that those core values don't penetrate our correct values in the Church like they have been doing, even though they will truly try. Of course, I'm not saying that someone struggling with homosexuality is to blame for Catholic abuses, but what I am saying is that if people in and out of leadership don't have any line that is drawn when it comes to church tradition in any way, the church as a whole will eventually fall apart, or, you know, the end times will happen, and, you know, everyone will be beamed up, and all of that other theology. And, but for the most and the least of what we have to pay attention to while we're down here is that we have to draw a line that must not be passed over even through highly debated controversies and of course realizing that objects matter similar to the objects used in communion itself should be a main focus and a reinstated focus for both the Catholic and Anglican denominations instead of acting like people who say they're Anglican and Catholic but aren't practicing because if you aren't practicing and you aren't actually looking into the true symbolism, then you aren't actually Anglican and you aren't actually Catholic. Alright, so lastly, as I mentioned before, Professor, that of course 100% would not be working at the college campus I graduated from unless it was an Anglican church or a catholic college in the past couple months for some reason wrote a piece in 2019 in the height and the heat of the homosexual church wars of our culture that argues for the acceptance of homosexuality by not simply jumping to the conclusion that jesus would have accepted it because it isn't recorded for him to have talked about it which is their normal argument but now deciding to take it a step further and claiming that paul in fact loved the idea of homosexual practice as long as it didn't have to do with the ISIS cult. Now first he references what someone once told him, something that, you know, the majority of people actually say when they come across this conversation. It says, if all other biblical passages can be shown to be relevant to the homosexuality debate, or, or now, if all other biblical passages can be shown to be irrelevant To the homosexuality debate. At least I have one biblical text that clearly condemns homosexuality. Then he's referring to Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Of course, it says this: because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations for women with each other and were inflamed with lust for one another. Now, obviously, this whole source and the whole document here then ends up discussing this one verse in an attempt to state that homosexuality is fine somehow. At the same time, he does point out some points and statements that aren't actually true, unfortunately, such as Egyptians were the only people to have gods that looked like animals Uh, the animals of today, and continues to try to somehow state that as long as people are partaking in homosexual relations in a way that is separate from idolatry, and completely apart, or set apart from animal-like cultism, then it's somehow okay, and it's somehow fine. Well, no, it's just not the case at all. It doesn't make sense to assume that anyone during this time, first of all, or the time periods beforehand would have looked at sex in the same way in their culture. And we also always connect sex to something other than the simple action. No matter if that's God, or it's at the very least raising a family, if it's at the very least being a prominent person, or a prominent individual, we always have symbolism connected to sex. We don't just have sex by itself. Sex is always connected to religiosity this whole entire time. So if someone sat there and said, hey, you don't know what you're doing, why don't you just hook up and separate sex from every single aspect of your society? Why not just do a simple hookup, like, you know, a simple tender swipe? The the people in the culture would have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. The culture when it comes to sexuality was always connected to the worship of deities and bloodlines the whole entire time. He also then tries to make the claim that people would somehow be thinking of some other type of sexual action that does not procreate, as another example of his viewpoint. So then he basically connects the the not procreating aspects to a reference to homosexuality. Of course... The Bible's not even talking about homosexuality there. Although you could make somewhat of an argumentation for uh, straight individuals that are partaking in sexuality. But, of course, in a Catholic perspective, Catholics, or actual practicing Catholics, as I said before, don't like the idea of playing God when it comes to childbearing. So they might look in a certain way when it comes to a lot of the sexual practices on the heterosexual spectrum. So it, it sh- they, they would kind of think that it's better to be procreative versus just enjoy pleasure. But when it comes to homosexual practices, all you have to literally do is look where Paul says to not act similar to the people groups in the surrounding areas but be different and honorable to God, and that will literally include every single instance of homosexuality being on the wrong side of that argument every single time. Being every single person and every single people group that the Israelites were not supposed to copy. And realistically, the writer keeps saying that everyone looks at the culture the wrong way, but at the same time, the culture of religion and sexual praxies was all the people had to go on. Essentially, his argumentation ends up being, ignore the practices of idols and just have the sexual practices by themselves. That is, the homosexual practices by themselves. But then, of course, that just ends up becoming what everybody does today, like we mentioned before, where people just decide to forget about religion and sexual connection altogether, which doesn't do really any good for either side of the argument. He also goes on to later claim, that it's described in the Bible, or at least he tries to say, that Paul refers to homosexuality as unclean, but somehow not wrong. Like what? That's literally the straight up, straightforward definition of what wrong meant to every part of God's people. You can't separate unclean and wrong because unclean meant wrong in that context. Just giving one example if someone had leprosy, nobody could touch them or even talk to them. If someone was ceremonially unclean, which is the reference he uses, he would have to make sacrifices to the priests. The priests would have to do it on his behalf, two or three of them at a time throughout the day, depending on what he did, and he would have to wash himself afterwards. And by by the way, sometimes depending on what the action was, the entire community would have to do this. The whole entire Israelite community would have to do ceremonial washing just because a couple people did something. And, of course, one common thing was lying, which is what is being done here in this instance. Of course, because where does this professor relate to, or where does he actually get these claims? Well, the obvious answer is he is discussing cultural appropriate things and culturally inappropriate things and then acting like they aren't inappropriate for us today. And they weren't inappropriate back then. In a sense, pulling it out of thin air, out of the blue with no real Pauline connection at all besides stating the negative and then acting like it's positive. Now, of course, what about the other authors? That's another question you can bring up. People often try to say, well, Paul thought this and Paul thought that, but what about John and Jude and the other authors closely to the last book of the Bible in the Protestant Bible? Timothy, for example? and Jude, it also states the same phrase of unnatural desire in the same exact way. This time, it was literally mentioning and referencing Sodom and Gomorrah, but doesn't even disclose what the unnatural desire is, because it's supposed to clearly reference homosexuality as being the main actions present. In everything, we have to be sure to clearly reference the Bible and not our worldly desires, how unnatural and how unnerving they become, and at the same time, it is overall important to counsel, pray, and mentor everyone who deals with the sin. And that's why I completely disagree with this professor. And that'll do it for our show today. Thanks for listening. This has been the Cold Exclusive Podcast. Make sure to listen to my great episode yesterday evening, where you will hear from both an old friend from my high school and an anonymous guest who works in a hometown corrections facility. Have a great day. Talk to you next week. Blessings and take care.